some months ago, Carol and I had gone through a period of time when we were feeling uh, incredibly drained, really, really tired. I mean, just like, ah, uh, really, really tired. And uh, we were so looking forward to a holiday. And um, Carol had booked this wonderful place. And we were just hanging out to go to this wonderful place. It was, um, it was in, you know, you've heard of the back of beyond. Well, it was further on than there. I mean, it was, it was at, near a place called Ranfurly. You've heard of the Ranfurly Shield? Yeah, you've heard of Ranfurly. It was, so it was some, I don't know, six hours drive from our home. And, uh, and we were just so looking forward to this. And uh, we couldn't wait to get there. And with the pictures of it looked absolutely lovely. And, and it really was stunning. We got to this place and you, you, it was on an elevated position. So you got to the bottom and then you drove up this dirt road to this, this beautiful new cottage. And it was beautiful log burner, lovely. Oh, just, it was just superb. It was all the things that we were longing for. You know, we thought, oh, we've got this for a few days. We can, we can really relax here. This is just, this is just going to be beautiful. And we went to bed, a lovely bedroom. I was smashing it. Was just, it was, everything about it was just great. And then 7 o'clock in the next morning, um, <clears throat> this aeroplane took off from just <laughs> below where we were. And I, I thought, oh, this is exciting, because I like aeroplanes. You know, it was a little light aircraft. And, and it took off. And what was amazing, I jumped up, looked out the window, oh, this is interesting. And this, where we were elevated was just the point where, you, the, at the height that the aircraft was, at its point where it was taking off, you know? So you could actually see the pilot and wave at him <laughs> and, um, you know, smile at him. You could, I could see the colour of his eyes, almost, uh, as, as he went, went past. I thought, Oh, isn't that actually exciting? God, it's great. And then he disappears. And oh, God, that was really, I really enjoyed that. And then he came and landed again. I thought, oh, this is, this, this is interesting. I thought, oh, it must be a farmer learning to fly. And he's practicing his takeoff and landings. Oh, isn't that interesting? So I went out, oh, I was looking out the window. And I thought, this is going to be great. And he took off. And he went past. And I have to say, it was quite loud. It was like, you know, as just at that level, as he took off, he went around, disappeared. Five minutes later, he was back again, and then landed. And then he did it again, and every ten minutes. <laughs> every ten minutes, from seven in the morning till six at night, all day, except for an hour for lunch, all day he was top dressing the land beyond us. There wasn't a soul in this area. You, there was one house you could see from the, this elevated position. There was not anybody there. Not a car, not anything. Nothing was moving. We were completely alone and peaceful, except for this aeroplane <laughs> who was there. And, so we, and it started, just started to drive me mad. So here I am, looking for a bit of peace and quiet. Lord, I'm looking for peace and quiet. And then every ten minutes, this man would go by, and he, I swear he was smirking at me, <laughs> knowing that I was desperate for peace and quiet. And I was, in my mind, I was going, chucka, 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 I'm going to get him out, you know. As, as he was going, we went, we'd go out for a day, come back, there he was, going round and round and round. After about four days, our time had gone, and we'd been surrounded by noise. Nothing else happening in the whole world, but just this one little place where we were located. We were utterly disturbed, and as we drove away, feeling more anxious, more tired than we were when we arrived there, 
he was packing up and leaving at the same time. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? And then I'm driving along saying, God, you knew we would be there at that time and you knew he would be there at that time. What's going on? And I've decided that builders or some work people always move into the next door wherever I'm trying to relax. They always, they're always there. They're always there. Now, it's a little example of what life can be like. Isn't it? And how do you cope with those things when life is really like that? Well, there is a book of the Bible that deals with this. And this afternoon, this morning, nearly this afternoon, in a very, very short space of time, we're going to go through the whole book. And it's not a little one. We're going to do the whole book. And that book is the book of Job. So if you would turn to the book of Job, it's ever so easy to find. You go to the middle of your Bible, if you've got a real Bible, not one of these electronic things. If you've got a real one, no, he's fine, electronic's fine. If you've got a real Bible, you turn to the middle and it's the Psalms. The book before is the book of Job. Lord, please help us, because we're going to look at the whole of the book of Job. Give us grace, O Lord, for this, because this is big. And I pray that you would help us now in Jesus' name. The reason that we're doing this is because I want us to get to the place where we see that not only is this glorious God almighty, he is also sovereign. That's where we're going. That's why we're looking at it. Turn to the book of Job. It starts verse 1, verse 1. Um, we've just got his um, picture here somewhere. Um, and it says about Job, it says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. By the way, we're not going to read every verse, just so you know. But this is interesting. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. See, he was a good man. We're not talking about somebody who was a bit dodgy. He wasn't somebody who was a bit, you know, hot and cold like I can tend to be, like most of us. He was a good man. And he was doing the right thing. This is a very early book. This is a very extraordinary book, written before Genesis, probably, where they're dealing with these massive, massive issues. And uh, he, uh, he was a good man. And he used to, verse 4, he used to hold feasts for his family. They would, uh, he would look after them and he would make sure that all the offerings were done as they should be. This is in uh, verse 5. And it was his regular custom to do good stuff. That's verse 5. Then something happens. Verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also was with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going backwards and forth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is one on earth like him. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. So not only was he good in the eyes of everybody around him, in God's eyes, he was a good man. And Satan said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks, his herds are spread out throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power and on the man himself do not lay a finger. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord 
And then this is what happens. Round one, this is what happens. The first level of suffering. His sons and daughters were feasting and a messenger came in and he said, "Uh, all your uh, donkeys and all your oxen, they've all been taken. Some Sabaeans have come off and they have taken all your things, all your possessions have been raided. And then someone else came in and said, fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all your sheep. All your sheep have been burnt up, they've all gone. So a massive barbecue, but without anybody present to eat it. They have all gone. Your sheep have been burned. Then he discovers, through someone else, that all his camels have been stolen. And then, as if anything worse could happen, someone else came in and said, your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept from the desert and struck four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. A storm came and killed his children. Okay, so it makes the plane around my holiday cottage not seem quite as bad. At this, Job, verse 20, gone up, tore his robe, have you ever done that? Have you ever been in such anguish? Well, I know it's a cultural thing, but have you ever done I have. I've, I've known times when I've been in such anguish that I've just ripped the clothes on my chest. Such anguish. Such anguish. He tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell to the ground in worship and said... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Round two. The Satan comes before God again. And the Lord said to Satan, chapter 2, verse 2, Where have you come from? Satan said, From roaming throughout the earth, going backwards and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He has still maintained his integrity, though you incited, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Satan replied, Skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Incredible. Then his friends came to visit him. He had three friends. And they're named here in the end of chapter 2. And his three friends came and they heard about what had happened to him and they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go with and sympathise with him and comfort him. 
They saw him from a distance and they could hardly recognise him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. What friends? What friends? Do you know we as Christians, we, we can be so glib. People are in trouble, people are in hardship, people are suffering and they come to us as Christians and we give them glib answers. Oh, it'll be alright. Everything works for good, we say. And it's a glib answer. We say, oh, you must pray harder. It's a glib answer. Oh, you must have faith in God. It's a glib answer. I remember hearing about a lady who, who lost her son very tragically. She, he wasn't very old and she lost her son. She had a friend. And she just sat there on the sofa and her friend came to visit her. Uh, she was a big black lady and her friend was a little skinny white lady. And her friend came and sat next to this mum in her loss and nothing could be said because there are times when nothing can be said. And she pressed her cheek against her friend's cheek and kept it there. After some while, the tears began to flow. We need friends like that. And we need to be friends like that. Then in chapter 3, Job and his friends start to talk and it all goes wrong. Because Job is trying to express what is really going on with him. And his friends go from chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter berating him, confronting him from chapter 3 to chapter 37. And what they say, essentially, in many different ways, over and over again, is this. You are suffering because there's something wrong with you. You're suffering because of some sin or other. Maybe be hidden, you might not know it, but you are the responsibility for your suffering. And we all know that's true. If you smoke 40 a day, then guess what happens? Well, it's quite inevitable that you're going to make yourself ill. I talked to a guy with emphysema, came to the office the other day, uh, terrible, terrible emphysema. I said, oh dear, I said, why is that? Thinking he might have been a minor or you know, something. And he said, oh, I used to smoke 60 a day. So inevitably, that's just how we pray with him. Of course you do. You don't go, well, silly man. If you, you know. Guys, we've got to be really careful with how we live. We've got to be really careful how we live. Because actually our stupidity leads to our suffering often. That's often the case. But that wasn't the case here. And Job again and again says, look, I know that's true, but that's not true here. This isn't the case. I'm actually innocent of the kinds of things that you're accusing me of. Actually, that's not what's going on here. And actually, he calls out and says, I want my day when I can go to the courts of God and make my case and say, why is this happening? What is this going on? Are you sovereign or are you not? He wants to say to God. Are you doing what is just and right or are you not? And he wants the ability to go and say that. So chapter after chapter, this is what goes on between them. And then finally, and this is where we are going to read a little bit, finally, God turns up. And in chapter 38, God 
begins to speak. And he says this, and this is what God says as he meets with Job. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and said, Who is this who obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will answer you. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then he starts to talk. But did you notice, can I just notice three things? Firstly, when the Lord spoke. All the other times God is spoken about in Job, up to this point, he's known by an impersonal name, God. Uh, Elohim, and names like that, impersonal names. But when he speaks to Job, he speaks as the Lord, his covenant name, personal God, the name that he gave to Moses. He speaks personally as a covenant God to Job. The second thing is he did speak to Job. He spoke to him in words that Job could understand. God, again and again in his greatness, condescends to our level and speaks to us in ways that we can understand. That doesn't speak of his smallness. That speaks of his greatness, that he is able to do that very thing. And the third thing to notice is that he spoke out of the storm. He spoke out of the storm. The very thing that took his children from him, the very place from where his children were, were killed, God speaks to him in that context. And God does it to us again and again. The very place which seems the worst is the very place where God speaks to us most profoundly. And he does it to us again and again. And then, for many chapters now, he questions Job and asks questions of him. What do you know of? What's this about? How do you understand that? And I'm going to read a bit of it now, okay? Because it will be good to read it, because it gives us an understanding. And he he brings to his attention all kinds of animals, all kinds of things, the parts of creation. And I'm going to read it to you. See if you can count how many things he brings to Job's attention. Are you ready? Verse 4. Where... Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Mark off its dimensions. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstones? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no further? Where here is where the proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Have you ever journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of the dead been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Verse 19... What is the way of the abode of the light? And where does darkness recede? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths of their dwelling? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. 
Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of snow or seen the storehouses of hail? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb does comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? Can you bind the, change, the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Verse 1, do you know when the mountains give, mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her form? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. They labor, their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the world. They leave and do not return. Verse 9, will, you, will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it tell the, va- the valleys behind you? Will you rely on its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work for it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it into your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot be compared to the wings and the feathers of a stork. She lays her eggs, this is the ostrich, on the ground and lets them warm in the sun, unmindful that a foot may crush them or some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labour was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at a horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a lotus, locust? beg your pardon, striking terror with its proud snorting. It pours, it pours fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with a flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts, Aha! It catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry. So that's all of chapter 30, uh, 38 and 39. Then in chapters 40 and 41, he talks about three creatures which we've got no idea what they are. He talks about a behemoth, a leviathan, and then he... What are they? Is this a crocodile? Is it a hippo? Is it a a fantastical description? Is it mythological? Is it prehistoric? Is it supernatural? And the answer is we don't know. We don't even know what these creatures are. And yet he uses these and points to them as being really important. See, what's going on here is this. God doesn't answer Job's questions. Why am I suffering? Why do things work out as they do? Am I innocent or am I guilty is what Job is saying. God doesn't answer those questions. Instead, God questions Job and invites Job and invites us to consider ourselves who God really is. What we're pointed towards are our limitations. Did you see that? Did you hear that? We are limited in all kinds of ways. 
There are things in God's creation that are not under our control. Can, can we move the stars? Can we move them around? Can we tighten Orion's belt? Can we do that? No. Of course we can't. We can't do those things. Were you there? Have you seen the storehouses of snow? Have you, have you seen that? No, 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 I haven't seen that. We, we have things that are not under our control. There are, we are, there are things that we are not powerful to change. Can you, can you change the boundary of the sea? Can you do that? Can you do that? I grew up in a little place where King Canute fought King Edmund Ironside and beat him, the famous King Canute, who was supposedly the one who was taken to the edge of the sea, and such was his power and his reign that he could stop the sea. Actually, that wasn't what was going on at all. He was sick to death of these sycophants who said, oh, you're the mighty king, you can do anything. And he said, oh, come on then, let's try it out then. Let's go to the sea and see if I can stop the tide coming in. You see, can we? No. Of course we can't. We can't do those things. We are very limited in our experiences. Anybody here seen the underworld? You know, have we seen the place of the dead? Have we? Have we seen those places? No. No, of course we haven't. Our lives, as God points out to Job, our lives are actually very short. And God points out that we haven't domesticated everything. Oh, we would like to. We'd love to domesticate everything. But there are even goats and there are even oxen that we have not managed to control. And he points out that we haven't domesticated everything. And what happens is God is pointing to his power. He is pointing towards his creativity. He is pointing towards his might. He is pointing to his glory and his sovereignty. He was there at the foundation of the world. He did it. He is the one who sets the boundaries for the sea. Such is his power. He is the one who sets the stars in place. And there, there are so many parts of creation that God mentions here. It's, it's, they seem almost random things. You know, God randomly is pointing out things. It's as if he's actually really enjoying his conversation with Job, his friend, this innocent good man, And here he is in conversation with his friend and he's saying, look at that. Oh, consider this. Look at the other. And and he does the same for us. It's as if God really enjoys his creation and he invites Job, he invites us to do the same. And then we go, hang on a minute, this is all ridiculous. This is a man who's lost all his possessions, he's lost all his family, he's lost his health, and now he's got friends who are berating him. The whole thing seems ridiculous. Here is Job in his suffering, and God asks him to consider an ostrich. You think, what? What? Here I am in my suffering, and you're pointing out an ostrich. An ostrich. God seems to be taking pleasure in this strange and stupid creature. It's just like this really odd animal. I mean, it is. An ostrich is a really odd animal. I mean, it just shouldn't be. Uh, but it is. And, and it's this bizarre animal that God in his creativity has made. And God seems to take enormous pleasure in the fact that this ridiculous, stupid animal, who can't even look after its own children, right, this stupid animal, actually, 
can outrun a horse and rider who think they're so clever. And God loves that. And he enjoys this. My dear friends, we must not put God in a box. He is bigger than we give credit to. Do you know the truth? The truth is, over Job, over you, over all things, God is sovereign. He is sovereign over creation. He is sovereign over time and space. He is sovereign over the nations even now. He is sovereign over people. He is sovereign over you and everything that happens to you. What does that mean? It means, because God is sovereign, it means that there is nothing random that happens to you. God is never surprised by what happens to you. You know, we pray, oh Lord, there's this aeroplane. He doesn't go, oh, that's a surprise. I wasn't expecting that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Oh Lord, I'm really ill. Really ill? I wasn't expecting that to happen. Nothing is random in your life. Can you get that into your heart? There is nothing that happens that is random. There is nothing in your life that is purposeless. Nothing about you, about your background, about your story, about your history, about where you're at, about the things that happen to you and your children and your grandchildren and your friends and your church. There is nothing that is purposeless, nothing that's empty, nothing that is hollow. We do not believe in fatalism. We don't believe in fatalism. We don't even believe in a Christian version of fatalism. You fall down the stairs and you say, thank God that one was over. No, we don't believe that. We don't believe in that kind of fatalism. No, these things are not purposes because God is sovereign. We don't believe in inshallah, that the will of God be done. If it happens, it's God's will. If it doesn't happen, it's not God's will. What? What? That's fatalism. Do we believe in fatalism? No, we don't. We believe in the Lord Almighty. The one who is sovereign over all things. Because everything has purpose. There is nothing that is irredeemable. Nothing that's irredeemable. And you say, how can that possibly be true? I can prove it to you. Because the worst thing that has ever happened in this world is that the Son of God should be crucified and put on a cross. That is the worst and most despicable thing that has ever happened. That Satan should such have his way, it seemed, that the Lord Jesus himself was crucified on a cross, and yet God turned that. In fact, it was always his intention. He was not surprised by that turn of events. He was not overtaken by that. No, it was God's intention. Nothing is irredeemable. He turned what was the worst into the most glorious thing that has ever happened in the world. Nothing is irredeemable and nothing is impersonal. This great God who made the heavens and the earth, he notices an ostrich. He notices the fawn. Did you see that? He noticed when the fawn gives birth. He takes delight in that. He loves that. As Jesus said, his eye is on the sparrow. There is nothing impersonal. You know, life looks like a huge tapestry from the wrong side a lot of the time. Here's a picture of a tapestry. And you're going, what is that? What is that line? What is, going, what is happening here? What, what is this all about? 
every now and again, we get to peep at the other side and we go, ah, that's what God's doing. Does that always happen? Do we always get to look on the other side? No, we don't. There will come a day when you will stand before the Lord Almighty and he will show you the other side of what he has been doing in your life and in your church and in our nation all this time. And when we see it and when we see him, we will say, Lord, you have done all things well. I don't understand what's that black line doing through going through this. Ah, one day you'll see. One day you'll see what God was about and you'll see what he has done. We used to sing a song, God is working his purpose out as year succeeds to year. God is working his purpose out and the time is drawing near. Nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that will surely be when the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What's happening? God is and he is working his purposes out. It says in Habakkuk, that's, um, that's from Habakkuk 2, it says in Philippians 2, if we turn to that slide, it says that God, my dear friends, as you, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now so much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to, in accord with to fulfill his good purpose. That is what he is doing. That is what he's about. You know, you can throw a stone in a river and it can have an enormous impact. You throw a stone and the ripples go, go way, way. It goes, they go right to the other bank sometimes. It can have an enormous impact. And it feels like that. Uh, this thing that's happened to you, these things that go on in your life, it can have an enormous impact, enormous ripples. But do you know the reality? That river's still running. The river of the sovereignty of God, the river of his purposes continues to run, even despite the rocks and the ripples that happen. His purposes are being worked out. See, what happens is that Job has to come to an understanding of these things. And he does. And in, and in, verse, in chapter 40, when halfway through this, God meets him again, God says to him, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him, accuse, let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered, and this is our answer, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once but I will have no answer twice and I will say no more. And then God speaks, and this is perhaps the deepest, sort of the most kind of philosophical bit of it all. He says, verse 8, do you see this? Chapter 40, verse 8. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? Can you thunder glory like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces to the grave. Verse 14, Then I myself will admit that you, to you that your own right hand 
can save you. What is, what is God saying here? He's saying this. Can you be God? Job, can you be God? To you, can you be God? And he points out quite correctly that whenever we, human beings, act as God and try to do justice, we always get it wrong. We always do justice wrong. We always act much, much more harshly than God seems to act because we are unable to do what God does, which is to do justice fully and creatively. We can't do justice because only God can turn evil into good. Somebody said, verse 8, they put it in slightly different words, dare you deny that I am just or put me in the wrong that you may be in the right? Dare we do that? Do you remember the film... um, Bruce Almighty. Do you remember that one? I'm not recommending it. I can't bear Jim thingy. Uh, not recommending it at all. But there he was, and he tried to be God. And guess what? He made a complete pig's ear of it. There's another film that's out just recently, and it's, it's not God who gives the man power this time. It's, it's um, aliens, such as the world and how it's moved on. And, uh, and it's another film. And a, guy, a guy can do anything. And there's this one little clip in it which I thought was quite funny. I've not seen the film, but the clip was funny, where he stands in front of the mirror and because he can do anything, he says, make me a, a great man. And he turns into Albert Einstein. You know, he's like, Give me the body of a great man. And there he is as Albert Einstein. Dare you deny that I am just or put me in the wrong that you may be right. I want to say this to you, that God is sovereign. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our hope, of our whole lives, our children, our churches, our ministries, our future. Because he is almighty, he is worthy of our faith. Because he is sovereign, he is worthy of our trust. Let me... Did you get that? Because he is almighty, he is worthy of our faith. Because he is sovereign, he is worthy of our trust. My dear friends, it is time to trust God. We want answers now. We want it to be put right now. But in fact, there is all eternity for God to put the world to rights and to put all the things that you have gone through, and all the things that you have lived through, he has all eternity to put that right and show how he has been sovereign over all these things. Now Job had God come meet with him and talk with him. And it's wonderful. Hebrews tells us that in the former days, God spoke through prophets, through his word. But now, he has spoken to us through his son. See, we say, why me? Why that aeroplane? Why that time? Why that moment? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Your things. Why? I, I don't know. Why are you walking through? Why has your church been through what you've been through? I, I don't know. Oh, I, you can guess a few things. But really? Do I really know? And the answer is, no, I don't. But what you do need to know is this, that just as for Job, 
God is there. He is not distant. In Jesus Christ, God has embraced our humanity, our weaknesses, our suffering. When we're suffering, we can feel that God is distant. Can I say that is the opposite of what is actually true? We are looking through the telescope wrong way round. God draws near to you in your trouble and in your difficulty. He is almighty. He is sovereign. And God here gives Job the opportunity to change his mind. Did you notice that he never tells Job, well, there was this day when Satan came into my presence and he said, could you do this, that and the other? And I said, well, yeah, and I had real reason for that and the reason was this. Does he do that? Does he do this? No. What he does is he draws our attention to who he is and how wonderful he is, how great he is, how sovereign he is. And he invites us to trust him. What greater gift can we be given than that? I believe God wants to do something in our hearts today. He wants to do something to open our eyes to see him. He wants to do something to open our hearts to trust him more. And I believe his Holy Spirit is here to do just that right now. So why don't we stand? Yeah, it'd be great. Let's just, let's open ourselves to him right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us and speak to us and make his way known to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for these words. We thank you, Lord, that you do great things in us and through us. I thank you for this opportunity to come and trust you again. And we take this moment right now in Jesus' name to trust you with our whole hearts, to trust you with our whole lives, Holy Spirit, come upon us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Apply these words into our very being. All that you intend, Lord, for this moment. Do it in our hearts right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit. God wants some of us here this morning to know what it is to surrender to him. In the cowboy films, the sheriff would come through the door, he'd point a gun and he'd say, stick him up. And you'd lift your hands to say, I give in, I surrender. Believe that here today, there are those who really need to come to that point. You know what it's about. It's between you and the Lord. You know those things where you just need to surrender. But you need to do it and you need to do it now. Whilst every eye is closed, every head is bowed, if you need to surrender, hey, put your hands up. Stick them up. 
it's time to surrender. What, to a sheriff? No. You're surrendering to the will of God. You're surrendering into his sovereignty. And you're saying, here I am, Lord. With all my faults, with all my issues, I surrender to you. Do it right now. Raise your hand. I surrender, Lord. I surrender. I surrender to you, Lord. morning we we have issues that we've affected us that came out in that first talk and there are things that have oppressed you there have been things in your past which have held you back there are attitudes in your mind which are holding you back God wants you to give them up now and instead he wants to come in in his power and he come in in his might and bring change into your heart and life you're being held back by things then just bring this to God right now you know that there have been things people things people have said things that have happened even evil things have oppressed you bring them to God right now raise them in your in your mind just bring them to the Lord right now in your hands and let me pray for you bring them to God and say Lord here it is here are these issues, here are these things, here's the stuff that's holding me back. Bring that to him right now. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for these people right now, Lord. As they bring their stuff to you right now, things that have held them back, things that have oppressed them. And I speak freedom in the name of Jesus over each of these lives. Lord, you see each one of us individually. You see every hair on our head. You, your eyes on the sparrows, on us. You see each thing. And I speak liberty into your heart and life right now. And for those things that have been holding you down and pushing you back and holding you from entering into the very things that you believe God has called you, I pray freedom from these things now in Jesus' name. I break the power of this lie over your heart and mind in Jesus' name. I say to you, the Lord is almighty and he is sovereign. He is worthy of your trust. I break the power of that now in your life, in Jesus' name. Some of you are really concerned. You're really worried about children and grandchildren. You're really worried. And God wants to break the power of that over your life. Am I going to worry about my kids? I'm going to worry about my kids for the rest of my life. That's my job. I'm a dad. But there's a sense in which... I can only go so far, I have to leave the rest to him. Okay? The rest, you bring to God right now. And no freedom in your own heart and life from the worry of children, of grandchildren. We release this to you now in Jesus' name, in prayer, Lord. And we say, our little ones, 
They are yours, even more than they're ours. And we give them into your care right now. And we say, we don't know what's going to happen to them, what's going to become of them in different circumstances, but you are God, you know, and I trust you, Lord. I trust you now with my children, with my grandchildren. I trust you with my family. We say these things to you now in Jesus' name. I see a a picture in my mind of a a valley. And um, the valley has has been cut out by a great water, but is now dry. And it's just a dry creek on the bottom of the valley. And some of you will identify with this right now. Because God wants to say, I want to fill the valley again. I want my life and my love and my power to rush through your life once more. If that's you, just you raise your hands to God. I pray in the name of Jesus that life would come to you now in Jesus' name. That his would rush through you in Jesus' name. That his word would become alive, that prayer would become a joy, that worship will be embraced. I pray life into your dry valley right now in Jesus' name.